G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you on Monday morning, uh, plenty of stuff occurred over the weekend from the sporting landscape, whether you're a tennis fan, whether you're a basketball fan, whether you're a footy fan, whether you're an F1 fan, or whether you got a little bit of all of them. There was a lot to unpack after a huge weekend on the sporting calendar. We're heading into a little bit of a, a lull in the sporting world. There is plenty of footy to talk about and there's some AFL fantasy stuff that I'll touch on on today's pod. And obviously the basketball, there's some summer league stuff going around and a couple of trade rumours, but not a lot on the agenda. And of course, there was a hot-headed Australian in action over at the All England Club that I want to touch on as well. So like I've alluded to, a lot of sports stuff going on. Big episode in store. Let's get amongst it. first item out of six that I want to talk about today is the AFL and mainly the events that unfolded from round 17 in the footy world. So it seems like ages ago, but Geelong and Melbourne kickstarted round 17 at GMHBA Stadium and the Cats definitely start to uh, trend in the right direction. They have been doing so for a couple of weeks now, but I've been very pessimistic about their genuine premiership credentials. Uh I might have to eat my own words because they took care of business and they look like the team to beat at the moment. No one seems like they're going to be able to travel down to Geelong and take care of the Cats, but beat the D's by about five goals as a result, leapfrogged them on the ladder. So they're sitting in a pretty good position. And like I said, there's not too many weeks left and you want to be really peaking at this point in the season. It's good to see that the Dockers got uh, a win on the weekend. I was a little bit nervous as a Frio fan, but again, a third quarter blitz helped kind of open up a little bit of a margin between them and St. Kilda and they got the job done. Fifey was looking pretty impressive in that game as well for what it's worth. But prior to that game starting on Saturday Arvo, late Saturday Arvo was probably the match of the round. Gold Coast producing a pretty epic comeback against the Tigers. Don't think it's going to have too many ripple effects on the rest of the season. We got six weeks left before the finals do start and why I think every sports fan who follows footy would love to see Gold Coast crack the top eight. I think they might have left their run a bit late, but shout out to Nozzle Anderson for his uh, snag after the siren, giving them a pretty epic win. We nearly saw North claim a a much-needed victory as well, but they showed a bit of fight against Collingwood, which was promising. The Dogs did not show as much fight in round 17, and as a result, their 50-ish point loss to Sydney may have dramatic effects on the rest of their season. They've got a virtual elimination final this weekend when they take on St Kilda and there's ninth versus 10th on the ladder. I don't think either of them can push up into the top eight, but the dogs lose. They're four points further behind the Saints. It'll pretty much be them done and dusted, which is a shame. I had money on the dogs to win the flag at the start of this year. I thought they were going to go one better than last year. And Brisbane was another team who I was very bullish on. I put money on them to make the grand final. And they let another opportunity slip when they lost to Essendon at the Gabba, mind you, last week. So the Dons are also showing a bit of ticker. West Coast had some ticker and patches of their round 17 matchup, but that's a little bit of a lap around the association. And I think with six weeks to go, like I said on Wednesday's pod with JLo, I think the top eight is virtually set. St Kilda may ruffle some feathers if they can beat the Dogs and then upset the likes of Sydney or Richmond or other teams at the bottom of the eight, but... I think the top eight as it stands right now will probably hold solid for the rest of the year. Second item is business. I want to talk about the Summer League. Now, on Wednesday, I just watched uh, Chet Holmgren's first 
uh, NBA Summer League game. And I think it's wise to remember we need to temper expectations in the Summer League. I was very quick to crown him as the next Dirk and was talking him up to JLo. And his response was purely, don't forget that it is Summer League. So some of the things I am going to say, take with a grain of salt. But I'm just glad that there's still basketball to watch, to be honest. I watched the Cavs and Nuggets this morning. And there were some very promising signs from Luke Travers. I thought that he drafted in the late 50s, one of the last five or six picks of the NBA draft. I thought that he may have a cup of coffee over in America and that'll be it. And he still might, but he's showing that he's kind of catching a lot of the summer league players off guard with his sneaky athleticism. Hasn't really been attacking the paint or looking to score a shitload, but he's making some pretty solid plays on defense. He had five blocks and three steals in his first game. He's been setting the table all right with a couple of assists as well. So he may have a future in the league and play his way into being kind of like the quintessential Australian has like Matty Delavadova in years past, just a high energy guy who makes smart decisions, plays really good fundamental defense. So keep an eye on Travers. I'll be interested to watch him over the next couple of years. I think Jaden Hardy out of uh, Dallas, he's another bloke that I want to watch for the next couple of years as well. Slipped in the draft. A lot of people had him mocked in the first round, but Dallas might've got a serious steal here. Again, it is the summer league, but the bloke looked really good in his first outing, scored 28 points from memory and did it in a variety of ways. Was catch and shoot threes, was attacking the rim, showed that he was able to create for others at times as well. But he could emerge now that they've lost Jalen Brunson as a, not necessarily a difference maker, but a bloke that plays a couple of games for Dallas. And in a few years, if he's still on his rookie contract, when Luca is prime in that MVP range in that 26 to 30 year old stratosphere, we might see that Jaden Hardy emerges as his running mate. Another running mate, speaking of Chet Hongram, is Josh Giddy. He's put some pretty solid numbers up. Had a triple-double in the Summer League earlier. So, again, another Aussie doing the brand proud. But I think he still looks very raw as a playmaker. He showed some brilliant flashes and some high IQ plays in his rookie year with the Thunder. And regardless of what he and Chet and Jalen slash Jalen Williams achieve this year, uh, I think Things are looking up for the Thunder. There's definitely a bright future there, and they've got the right pieces now. Shea Gildress-Alexander is someone who maybe they've talked about trading in years past just to really continue bottoming out, but I think now they need to start aiming upwards. So I don't think I'll provide too many hot takes uh, revolving around the Summer League. The winners at the Summer League this year actually get a championship ring, which is kind of funny, kind of pointless, but... Yeah, shout out to the Summer League of the NBA. Hopefully there's a couple more games in Las Vegas and a couple more prospects that I can talk about over the next week or so. All right, there aren't too many NFL fans tuned into the Sports by Fry podcast, but bear with me because I want to talk about Baker Mayfield landing in Carolina. And as a Panthers fan myself, I'm actually kind of glad that they made a move for another quarterback. Sam Darnold does not look like the answer. I mean, he could prove me wrong. He had patches and flashes. He was at some point early last season, one of the leading rushing touchdown scorers, but I don't think he is a guy that can be a QB one on a playoff winning team, but we've seen Baker Mayfield do that with the Cleveland Browns. Again, his ceiling is probably capped and there's a reason that they wanted to offload him ASAP, but I'm glad that Cleveland or Carolina rather have at least some competition for that QB one spot. Matt Corral, who they drafted as well this year, is another rookie who'll probably just sit back and watch those two duke it out. And then I wouldn't be surprised if next season the Panthers pick one of them to go with Corral and they let those two duke it out. But three somewhat competent quarterbacks means that hopefully Carolina can find someone who can ignite their offense. There hasn't really been a lot to cheer about for Panthers fans 
in recent years. And obviously Christian McCaffrey's health hasn't been great. Matt Rule might even be on the hot seat if they struggle this season, but they made some solid tweaks to their roster in the off season. So hopefully if they put the right bloke under center, we can see the Panthers surge up the standings. I don't know how I feel about this move from a Cleveland perspective. Obviously the bridges has been burned between Baker and uh, Cleveland. He did not want to go back there. They sacrificed a shitload in the form of draft capital and salary cap space to land Deshaun Watson. And we're still not sure if he's going to play the whole season. So I know that the Browns didn't really want to keep Baker, but it seems kind of dumb to just really offload him for a conditional fourth round pick at best. That's all they got for the bloke who they drafted number one back in 2018, 2018. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was 2018. So Baker's got talent. I don't know if he's going to be able to show that talent in Carolina, but if all of a sudden Deshaun Watson gets slapped with a hefty suspension, I think Jacoby Brissett is the only other quarterback on the roster for Cleveland. So Yikes, doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence of a Browns team who were surging in the right direction a couple of years ago. So they might have taken a step backwards with this move, but obviously a lot of it hinges on what happens with Deshaun Watson and if he gets hit with a a lofty suspension or not. Item number four on the agenda, let's talk AFL fantasy. And I will get through my teams in a couple of moves at the back part of the pod, but let's talk about the new dual position players because for the last time this year, we got the DPPs added. And there wasn't a shitload to get excited about. There's a lot of people who may have Rowan Marshall in one of their ruck spots for what it's worth. And he added forward status, which probably looking at the list is the most appealing move or the most appealing bloke to add a position. If you've got maybe a Darce Cameron or a Tim English or a combination of them, at least gives you a little bit of flexibility to chop and change some blokes. And Rowan Marshall's looked pretty good in recent times. So he may even be a trade target for those who want to get rid of an underperforming forward or upgrade at R1 or R2 spot. The only other bloke really worth mentioning was obviously Harry Himmelberg. He became a big popular trade target in the last month or so and scored pretty decently, if you don't mind. He's obviously added defender status now. So Himmelberg as a forward defender does, again, allow you a little bit more flexibility to chop and change some moves. I don't think if blokes had him in their forward line, they'll look they're putting him in the back line, but you might be able to say chop out a, a Nick Dacos type, move Himmelberg back and then get a Tim Taranto if there's no defenders that you love targeting. So that's probably the two big names that mattered for Classic. There were a couple that could have some uh, assistance for coaches in the draft world. Archie Perkins, he's a name and a bloke who I think is going to be a star. He was only forward previously, but he's now a mid forward, which is handy. Tom Atkins, again, draft relevant maybe, but There's not classic coaches or too many of them who have Brady Hoff on their team, but he added midfield status, uh, sorry, at defender status and was a pure midfielder before. So he again might be a handy tool as a defender mid and he's been scoring pretty well. So I wouldn't recommend trading him back in, but if you still got the Hoffman in your side, then you won't be unhappy to learn that he now has DPP and can be flicked between a couple of different lines. All right, let's do it. Let's talk about Nick Kyrgios. Now, the bloke probably would have lost to Rafa Nadal in the semis. I could be wrong with that take, but I think most genuine sports fans will agree with that. But he put up a fight against Novak Djokovic in the Wimbledon final. We saw every part of Nick Kyrgios that could possibly be seen. We saw him firing on all cylinders and playing really good tennis early. We saw him have a bit of a breakdown, accusing a fan who had 700 drinks in her of talking to him in between points. His box wasn't cheering him enough. He was up to 40 love. And then they would kind of sit back and he was accusing them of not giving him more energy. So 
it was definitely a roller coaster and we got all different sides of Nick Kyrgios's personality, but fuck me, the bloke can play tennis. He is, he's a dickhead. Let's be honest. There's not a lot of uh, casual sports fans, especially some of the older generation who are big Kyrgios enthusiasts, but I love the bloke. He's our dickhead. So he is arrogant at times and he does dumb shit. But I think in years past, I've kind of thought that he was a bit of a brat, but he's really evolved as a tennis player. Say what you will about his off-court antics and the way he behaves, but he was killing it at points against Djokovic. And there were some really tense moments in the final where I thought if Kyrgios just held his nerve, he probably could have challenged Djokovic and pushed it to a fifth set or maybe even made a push at the title. But he won the first set. He served 30 aces over the course of the game. And his second serve really helped set up a lot of match-winning or game-winning points for him as well. There were times, though, that I particularly remember in the third set where it was about four games all or three games all. And he just kind of broke down a bit, conceded a game to love. And then Djokovic, who is now a seven-time Wimbledon champion and might be the GOAT. I know a couple of weeks ago I asked if Rafa's the GOAT, but fuck, I can't wait for Djokovic, Nadal and Federer to retire and me to really get into the nuts and bolts of their careers and choose who is the best tennis player of all time from the male uh, field. But Kyrgios has shown, regardless of what Djokovic achieves, that he is a challenger for future Grand Slams. It just really depends on if he can get his emotions in check and he can start to fire at the right times. Obviously, like I said, he doesn't lack talent, that's for sure. But if he can try and find a little bit of a safe place and really excel for longer periods of time, I think for the first set, set and a half, he barely said boo. And it showed he looked like he had a steely resolve and he was pushing Djokovic. So he did as proud as Aussies. I'm not too disappointed that he did lose because, uh, he was going up against, you know, one of the best tennis players of all time. Just on Djokovic very quickly, he obviously is still unvaccinated and the US Open uh, mandate states that he has to be vaccinated if he wants to compete. So I don't think he's going to be coming back for the US Open, which opens the door for Rafa or Kyrgios or someone else to potentially snag a Grand Slam to end the year. And those guys, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, they don't have too long left in their tennis careers. So a Grand Slam win here or there is going to be very interesting when they're all said and done and you stack their resumes to get up against each other just to see how many total Grand Slams they do have to their name. Alrighty, sixth and final item. Let's end with some AFL fantasy talk. So the large fries and Coke continue to be about 100 points off where I would like them to be. But you know what? I've got some blokes into my team the last few weeks that I'm actually really chuffed and stoked with. I try to say choked, but (laughs) that is not a word. The two trades that I brought in this week, I was able to do a little bit of uh, one rookie down and one uh, rookie up. So I I got my hands on Tim English, who I've wanted to have in my side for yonks. I brought Jace Burgoyne in as my other defensive cover. And I wasn't too disappointed with Timmy English. He just fell short of 100 Tim Taranto was the other player who I was looking at and I could have maybe saved myself a hundred grand if I went down the Taranto route, but I'm glad I got Timmy English. He's now going to sit at R1, maybe R2 if I decide to make a move for Max Gorn or someone else, but I'm now eyeballing a potential final midfield upgrade, which is nice. I scored 21.77, which isn't too bad from a fantasy perspective, but that was really weighed down by the two rookies that I had on field. Jacob Ware, he only dropped 34 points and I did contemplate playing Massimo D'Ambrosio instead. He only had a 50 odd, so that wouldn't have changed a shitload. And I don't know if D'Ambrosio is going to get up for this week. He's obviously got a pretty bad corky. So 
I think where I'll give one more chance and I might be able to loophole his score or at least try to. And if he sucks, I could try and field a Jace Burgoyne or D'Ambrosio if he plays as well. And that allows me, if I do a move, let's say, I don't know, can downgrade Saligo, pull quite a bit of cash. I can get my other rookie off the field in the form of Nick Martin. So he only had 48. His break even is now in triple figures. Didn't lose a ton of money over the weekend, but his time has come and I can pretty much get any midfielder I want. So whether I go down the route of Callum Mills, Jack Steele, I think from memory, they're almost exactly the same price. About 30 or 40 grand cheaper. I may even look at getting Zach Merritt, who's one of the form players at the comp at the moment. The other form players, you're looking at the likes of Clayton Oliver. He's got a busted thumb, so there's no guarantee he's going to play this week. So I'll probably avoid going down that route. And I do luckily have my hands already on Rory Laird, who's been my skipper for the last few weeks and is genuinely trying to single-handedly save my season. Andy Brayshaw deserves a mention as well for his 144. 44? 141? I think it was 144 from memory. But yeah, a couple of rookies, pesky rookies still sitting on my field. Outside of that, I actually really like the rest of my team makeup. There's no underperforming mids. I know that McRae and Sam Walsh haven't really been lighting the world on fire, but I'm probably not going to flick any of them out unless they get hurt. And in the forward line, you could say a similar thing about Josh Dunkley, but he's not going anywhere. And in the back line, I've got your usual suspects like Dawson, Doherty, Crisp, Hewitt, and Sicily. So again, those five aren't probably going to be traded out. So it might be a couple of rookie shuffles in the next few weeks to pull some cash together and then maybe addressing the ruck situation because I've still got Sean Darcy sitting there who is destined to score high 80s to 90s. But like I said, Rowan Marshall's been in good form. Max Gorn didn't have a great one against Geelong, but I won't be shocked if he refinds his mojo. So there's only six weeks left. So 12 total trades heading in uh, to the end of the AFL fantasy season. Finals are only a couple of weeks away as well. I don't think I'm really in the running to compete for too much finals wise, but I am still alive in the top four of two of my money leagues. So I'm not going to, uh, hold my breath and dream of a miracle, but stranger things have happened. Another quick fire sports be pod for your Monday. I will be back on Wednesday. Like I said previously to address plenty of sports stuff with JLo, maybe able to queue up a, an in-person podcast together, which has been a, a rare, rare commodity in recent times. So make sure you tune into the Wednesday episode. A couple of other articles I've got in the works as well. I'll obviously do my uh, rookie guide, heading into round 18. And then I'm going to try and put something together about how we can save North Melbourne. And spoiler alert, I don't think it's moving the ruse to Tasmania. So like I said, stay tuned to the Sports by Fry channels for more articles, podcasts, YouTube videos, etc. But thanks for tuning into this episode. Catch you next time.